Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sam and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. I'm actually really excited for today's topic. I feel like it's been such a buzzword thrown around on the internet lately. Sim, what are we talking about today? Today, we are breaking down AI, which I think has been a really interesting concept. If you've worked in like STEM, you've probably like come across it. It's not anything new, but it's so cool to see it become a lot more, I don't want to say mainstream. I feel like it like turns it into a commodity like yeah AI is now mainstream it's like the newest artist that has like popped up but as it's starting to like seep into our lives it feels less like something far away and more like oh it is here and it is actually affecting jobs in this current moment and is affecting investors in this current moment so we're going to break down what is AI the history of it why it matters exactly how it works but more importantly what it means for you as an everyday person but also as an investor I think it comes to no surprise that the way that AI has just like swept into our life, I feel like love bombed by AI. I just feel like it's just like turned up and it's like, here, let's fix everything like right now. And I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. But also, should I be like scared of this? I feel like it's also talked about so much that there is a certain group of people that now fear it and now are going against it. So you've got all of these conspiracy theories and these really interesting <laughs> for lack of better words, like viewpoints on AI. It's always insane to see like people come out of the woodworks with their opinions and being so vocal about it when things like this have attention and traction. Do you agree? I saw a comment where someone had like an issue with AI and then someone else responded being like, stop being tech phobic. And I was like, wow, like I haven't seen that word in like decades. <laughs> Tech phobic? I've never heard of that before. You know, like you can kind of decipher what it means, just like being anti like future and technology. <laughs> being, I'm not going to upgrade my iPhone. You're being tech phobic. Is that the correct context? I think the correct context would be like, I don't want to get a laptop because I'm scared the government's going to be listening to me, which they probably are. But like, if you're not a bad person, like, is that a concern? Yeah. I feel like this is a great segue into breaking down the history of AI. Like, did this concept appear out of thin air? I'm here to tell you it did not. So AI, or artificial intelligence, this idea of artificial intelligence, it has actually floated about for centuries, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, with philosophers and professors and authors amongst others, they really mused about mechanical techniques, calculating machines, you know, all of these things that eventually led to the concept of mechanized human thought and non-human beings. Fast forward to the 20th century where science fiction has actually helped familiarize the world with the concept of, you know, artificially intelligent robots. It actually begun with none other than the heartless Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's interesting, like you've got the mechanics of a character and they don't really have a heart, which is what we see as a very human thing and so already like audiences had dabbled with that and there were a heap of other science fiction characters that came out with kind of the same concept and then by the 1960s we had mathematicians philosophers and scientists they were all meddling with this concept of artificial intelligence or AI. Alan Turing who I 
feel like he has so many different titles. He's like a biologist, a computer engineer, a mathematician, all these things. He's a famous British scientist. He explored the mathematical possibility of artificial intelligence and he suggested that humans use available information as well as reason in order to solve problems and make decisions. So why can't machines do the same thing? That was his logical framework for his 1950s paper, Computing Machinery and Intelligence. But at the time, there were some really big barriers into why he couldn't get to work then and there on these concepts that he had written about. And it was because Firstly, computers at the time, they could be told what to do, but they couldn't remember any commands. So in terms of retaining information and commands, they couldn't do that. And two, it was a coin. It was expensive to work with computers back then. In the 1950s, it cost 200000 US dollars per month to lease a computer, which is why only prestigious universities and like big tech companies could afford to spend the time in this space. For me, like to see where we are now with tech and to see how fast tech evolved in machinery and computers and like these little iPhones hold everything that you would ever need. Could you imagine paying $200,000 to lease a computer? And here we are like, you know what? I hate the fact that I'm paying like $7 a month for my Spotify premium account because like that's too much money. And then here people were like, that is the most expensive monthly subscription I've ever heard of in my life. (laughs) Yeah. So you can see why it wasn't an easy way to explore this thing, even though like that thought and this concept had so much traction around it. So fast forward to now, we live in an age of information overload, you know, a big data age, and we've got the capacity to collect huge amounts of information in various different types of technologies. And I think it doesn't surprise me that we're at a point now with how we can evolve it, because I think someone in the 1990s, they probably thought that in 2023, we would be at a different point in tech of like flying cars and being in space and all of that. So we've come a long way. And to me, I feel like we've come a long way in a very short amount of time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we grew up with like floppy disks and we had like Walkmans. <laughs> I, I showed my brother a floppy disk and he was like, what is that? Like, is that an SD card? <laughs> and then there's like kids being born that have never seen a USB stick and probably will never have to. Like things change so quickly. We really sound like grandmas right now. You know that, right? I love it. I'm just like, <laughs> back in the day, we used to hold this big circle disc and you would put a physical CD into it and then you would walk around with this like humongous, like clunky piece of machinery. But I wanted to break down exactly what AI is because for the everyday person, I think we kind of, we all have an idea. Like, I don't think anyone's like, this makes no sense. But to get into the specifics, in simple terms, AI is just making a machine to have the intelligence of a human, like making sure that a machine can do human-like things, that is all it is. So this could be like thinking like a human or even mimicking a human reaction. What people don't realize is that AI is like a spectrum. It's not just all in one like group of things. You can have weak AI and you can have strong AI. And those are the two 
ends of the spectrum. Weak AI is things that we've already been quite accustomed to. So like computers playing chess and reacting to the movements that you make or Siri, for example, that is AI. So it's not like, you know, 2023 is the first year we've had access to these things. And then you've got stronger AI, which is like more human-like. So things like self-driving cars or things like the ability for chat GPT to exist. And for those that still don't quite understand what chat GPT does, and God, I struggle saying that, it's like Google. So you type in any command or question or like anything that you would want back to you, whether that's, can you write me this piece of code or can you make a script for me? Or can you write a speech for, you know, how to sell this product and it will come back to you and it takes data from all areas and corners of the internet and kind of learns as it goes and if you give it a thumbs up it learns this was a good answer I'm going to do more of that and if you give it a thumbs down it will go oh like this is not what the human wanted let me get better and so that ability to take feedback and improve is what we call machine learning So it just means the computer can learn and improve with new data without human help. And so we can do this thing called deep learning techniques where, for example, in healthcare, we have dermatologists, right? And dermatologists will look at like a lump on your skin. Let's say you've got like a mole and they can, through their research and their, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours of learning, they can look at a mole take a video of it, magnify it and go, okay, this is cancerous or not. What deep learning can do with AI is you feed it hundreds and thousands of pictures of moles and you tell it, okay, these are cancerous moles and these are not cancerous moles. And that machine will, after absorbing all this data, be able to pick up itself where you send it a normal photo and that will go, that's cancerous or that's not. And so they did like some research to see are these machine learning things better than the doctors? And so they checked a study with oncologists, cancer doctors, and the AI was better at detecting cancer when they were shown photos of it compared to actual top doctors, which on one hand is amazing, but on the other hand, oh my God, I'm going to sound like tech-phobic, but it's like a bit scary. (laughs) I think... See, those are amazing things. Like, we always have a tendency to talk about things that bring us fear and that are completely crazy. What's that robot movie that Will Smith was in? Is it iRobot? Yeah, why are people using that as mad excuses against artificial intelligence when this exists, you know? Like, the mole story I'm talking about exists. I mean, I think we should definitely get into the ethics and, like, the points for and against AI, but... For those listening at home that are like, okay, this makes sense, but like, I kind of was aware of that. We're going to break down the four types of AI. So Sonia, can you take the lead? Yes. So let's start off with reactive AI. Now, reactive AI, it is considered the most basic type and it's defined as using algorithms to optimize outputs based on a set of inputs. 
that is jargon. Like, what does that mean? So in simple terms, it just reacts to current commands and it focuses on live observations of the environment. So reactive AI, they're given very specific tasks and they don't have any capabilities beyond that. And the best example that I can use is any game that you play on your computer against the computer. So you don't have anyone else to play with you. You're on your lonesome. It's been a hard night. Maybe you have a glass of wine or a beverage and you're playing chess on your computer where you are player one and the player two is the computer. And that is reactive AI technology because it's literally just reacting to your moves and it's going to optimize the best strategy to win the game for them based on a series of commands that the creator of that game, that chess game, has put in. Some other examples are Netflix recommendations and like spam filters. So Netflix recommendations in particular, they're just observing Like, what are you clicking on today, Sonia? That's great. You clicked on all of these rom-com movies. Like, are you okay? One. Two. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) But it will (laughs) recommend other rom-com movies. So that is reactive AI. And then the other type of AI is called limited memory AI. So that's defined as it can adapt to past experiences or update itself based on new observations or data. So we're already elevating ourselves here. It refers to the AI's ability to store previous data and predictions, and it uses that data to make better predictions. So a great example, and Sim touched on this just before, self-driving cars. It uses the data that it's collected in the recent past to make immediate decisions. So It uses sensors to identify civilians crossing the road, steep roads, traffic signals, and so on. And using that data, it makes better driving decisions. And that's incredibly helpful. Like the reason that they test the self-driving aspect of these cars so much is that how are you going to be in an accident and then it learns? Do you know (laughs) what I mean? It's already learnt for you. (laughs) That's a good point. Would you ever use a self-driving aspect of a car do you trust machines that much the lazy part of me says absolutely like a hundred percent the controlling part of me says absolutely not like I get stressed when my friends drive and I so apologize to anyone who I have sat in their car with and been a passenger my friends have been like Simran I see your left leg pressing the invisible brake when I'm driving because I'm just like I stress (laughs) and I like like you know you it's just like a reactionary thing so no my answer is no you're so dramatic like I drive with one hand and my tiny little Suzuki Swift which I have sold because I'm in Canada now and Sim will put her hand on the wheel do I she's like there's no one else here you have no one else to impress just put two hands on the wheel like what are we doing and I was like okay yes oh my god I have said that to friends I've been like hey I'm so sorry but like can you please use two hands when you're driving? <laughs> so yeah, that is my answer. I'm sorry. I know it's not logical. I know it. But I've just had like bad experiences in cars. I've been in crashes where it's like not been my fault. So like as a passenger. Yeah. Look at us being tech phobic, as one would say. As one would say. So Sonia's described the first two types of AI and you can think of them as we go through them as like they get more progressively 
complex, so to speak. And so the third type and the third most complex AI is theory of mind AI. So this is when an AI is able to attribute or understand the mental states of others. And so they're able to be fully adaptive and they have the extensive ability to learn, but more importantly, retain past experiences. So this can be like chatbots that have been able to convince people that they are talking to a person because the AI can kind of pick up, hey, like this customer is getting frustrated, like let's bring more empathy into the conversation. But these AI are not aware, they're not self-aware, so they don't know that they exist, so to speak, and they don't have their own feelings. An example of this in real life could also be like cars that can infer the mental state of the driver and pedestrians to predict their behavior, right? It's so crazy. So for example, and the way that you're driving, and you know, you just get a sense sometimes like, oh, this car's going to stop or she's going to turn. <laughs> and I just, I can't tell you why I feel that way, but like maybe they're slowing down, maybe they're slowly like moving closer to the edge of the lane. That's what the theory of mind AI is trying to mimic. That's wild. Like, why am I surprised that it can probably do that? It makes sense. It really does. And I know I'll listen to this episode back and be like, Sonia, why are you so shook? But it's one thing to have cruise control on a car. (laughs) And it's another thing to like, oh, yeah, this driver next to you who I don't know, it might do this. And it's telling you that. Like, that's crazy to me. And so it's just trying to, again, mimic human behavior because that's what we do. Like we subconsciously stop crashes happening because we just sense, you know, something going on. Like I was driving the other day. I was about to pull up onto a lane. And as I was driving, there was another car and a bike. And I just had a weird feeling about it. So as I was driving, funnily enough, the bike spin in front of the car, the car stopped. And had I kept going, I would have hit into the car. But I had a feeling something was up. So I was able to swerve it and just keep driving. And obviously no one got hurt. That's what AI is trying to do for us, which I'm not against that. Mm. Neither. Like, have you ever driven and you don't know how you got from point A to point B. Like your mind is somewhere else, but it's gotten you back to your house like safely from work. And it must be from like muscle memory. Like you've done the route so many times, but I can see in like instances where you like humans, our minds, we drift, we wander, where it will like pick up on that. This is why I asked you to use two hands while you drive. <laughs> if we're going, okay, you know what? That's What is the other type of AI that we're going to talk about, the final one, the fourth type. The fourth and final AI, this is kind of like the, you know, god of AI. This is probably where the tech phobia comes from. It's called self-aware AI. And so this is when a machine is not only able to read the emotions and mental state of others, like theory of mind AI, but also of its own. And so it becomes aware of its existence. Now, I want to be very clear This is not common AI. It's not something that you see everywhere and to say it even exists yet is like possibly false. But some experts believe that this AI will never actually become conscious or quote unquote alive. The closest that we've kind of seen is some students from Columbia University were able to make a robotic arm that was able to like semi-stimulate itself. So the arm moved on its own without like input but that's like the closest we've got to self-aware AI. And that's like the final of the four. That's like the final realm of it. Before we wrap up though, there's a few special considerations of AI or a few like ethics that people have against it. 
One is the concern that machines will take over. Do you think that's actually going to happen or not? I don't think so, no. And I'm really glad that we talked about the different types of AI and like the different capabilities AI can have. I think that what people fear most is self-aware AI. And I can completely see why people go down that way. I don't think movies or TV shows or books help with that in terms of taking like a potential fear and running with it and creating entire things around it. Don't think that helps. I personally don't think that that will happen. I think humans, dare I say it, I think we are smarter than we think that we are. And I think because everyone has the capability to be evil with this stuff, right? There's amazing things that are happening, as you mentioned, like in the mole cancer space. (laughs) And there's, I don't know how to describe it. (laughs) I didn't want to say in the mole space and then I didn't want to say in the cancer space, but I wanted to refer back to the specific thing that you said. Um, And that's amazing. But obviously if that technology and the same capabilities and that intelligence of someone was like, I'm going to screw people over, then yeah, maybe I just... Is that trusting humans too much? What do you think? No, I completely agree with you. The second consideration or concern is that AI can hack into our privacy and be used against us. For example, imagine a tool where like hackers can currently use tools where it will just generate hundreds of thousands of passwords and it will keep coming up with them until like the right password clicks for your account. So, you know, like let's say your password is password 372, which first of all, never have your password with the word password in it. AI can randomly generate hundreds upon thousands of password attempts and then get the right one. That's a very basic or easy type of AI. Then you can have AI that can, you know, pretend to look like you or mimic you and take a photo with a fake ID and that can be used to like hack into your accounts. That stuff is a concern for some people. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. So then there's hackers and those people in the world. And then there's other people in the world who work for Google and they create all these, like, you only have three attempts type software where they combat this evilness. Sonia's like, hackers, zero, (laughs) Google, one. It's just trusting humans too much. I feel like. No, you're right. I think what you're saying is that as technology evolves to like be more like scary and negative ways like the technology against it will improve as well like or just be like a one-up yeah there's always two different types of humans in the world one that want to cause destruction ones that want to save the world and i feel like as long as we have a balance of the two then we're good now the other concern that people have is that What happens when people start thinking, well, robots deserve to have the same rights as us or like, you know what I mean? Like we have such strong opinions on things like, you know, unborn children. And that has never come to a conclusion where everyone's agreed on the same thing. So, for example, if a robot is driving the car in a self-driving car, is it going to be designed to save you? Or should it be designed or programmed to save the pedestrian that it is about to hit into? And then if that happens, who's responsible? Like, does it have the same rights as a person to be sued? Or does the person get sued? Or does, like, the company get sued? Or does the engineer get sued? Like, that gets so nitty gritty. To me, the answer for that is, like, the pros of having AI outweigh, like, the ethics of it. But 
yeah, what happens if someone says AIs deserve rights too? That's so interesting. I would bet good money that the same people that argue that fetuses are like people, not that I want to get into all of that. If you know me, you know my stance on that. But like fetuses are like people and they want to save that. They're the same people that are going to advocate for like robots to have feelings and rights, which doesn't make sense to me in my head. But I feel like that's how it's going to go down. I think the last like concern that people have, and this is for investors specifically, is employment. Because as we've already seen, BuzzFeed has recently laid off a lot of people. BuzzFeed is like a huge content creating news organization. And they used to use, it was so interesting, they would use AI to pick up on trends that were happening in the world and be like, oh, like people are talking about this particular thing. That's a huge trend. That's like trend number one. So now they would say to their own like staff, okay, go and make content based off this trend. They've taken it now one step further and said, we're going to use AI to now write the content as well. So AI finds the content and AI writes the content. They've laid out a lot of staff. And then BuzzFeed shares went up like 11% that day because for investors, at the end of the day, a lot of investors care about the bottom line. And if you can say, hey, for $42 a month with ChatGPT, that's going to save us from having to hire like five writers from that point of view. That's great for investors because it means the company makes more money, investors get more money. But then from an ethical standpoint, well, you have less creativity perhaps, but then AI can fix that, but also the impact it has on like real humans. So investors have this ethical dilemma of, do we invest in companies that are taking up AI? Because for our pockets, that's a great idea, but for perhaps like the future of humanity, that gets murky. I feel like your mind does cartwheels trying to figure out your like stance on this, right? It's just so, I can see where everyone comes from. Bottom line, I would hope that people prioritize humans over AI. And I don't know if that's controversial. Probably is. But hey-ho. I think your pedestrian example, that really made my mind spin. I was like, oh my God, whose side am I on? Yeah. Like, okay. If you were in the car, would you want the car to save you or save the pedestrian? Or like, should it be programmed to? Yeah. Cause then you're a bad person for being like, no, I want to save me and hit the pedestrian. But then the car is supposed to be protecting you, but I don't want to hit the pedestrian. I think that with self-driving vehicles, like hopefully you're still aware of things happening around you where is it easy to just jump in and like take control of the wheel? But then if you do and then that pedestrian dies, then it is your fault. Oh, yeah. And like, okay, you're in the car. There's a tree to your left and there's a person in front of you. The car can either be programmed to save you and run over the person because you won't die if that happens. Or it can be programmed to swerve them but then potentially hit the tree where you're more likely to die. Like, what do you do? You develop an airbag that won't kill you. And you go for the tree? Because then what What do you do? You spend, like, logically, you spend your entire life feeling guilty over the fact that you're alive and you had to hit a person because of it. You'd rather die? Well, if I die, then, you know, what am I thinking? Like, what I'm thinking doesn't matter because I'm dead. Do you know what I mean? Maybe life is simpler if that happens. I feel like this has gotten deeper than AI. <laughs> I'm okay, by the way. Like, I'm fine. I just want to put it out there to, like, listeners <laughs> and concerned folk. See, we get into it. We really do. I think from an investor's point of view, is AI a good thing? On one hand, absolutely. The, like, 
I don't think we can even imagine what's coming. I don't think we can even put it into context, like what changes can occur. So change is always good. And then on the other hand, there's the concern of like what's going to happen if AI takes over so much that we're just mere observers of life and we're not participating because that would be terrible too. And would I feel guilty for putting my money into companies that have like exacerbated this? So that is probably a good place to wrap up the episode. This episode was a great like AI 101 and I think we've really covered a lot of ground. So thank you for listening and thank you Sonia for somehow making AI education fun. You're welcome. It's what I bring to the table. Feedback, welcomed and appreciated. <laughs> we really appreciate it. All right. Well, until next week, Sonia. <laughs> to next week, Sim. Bye. Bye. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.